Time for Global News Watch, a look at the international headlines. Joining us here in the studio for that is Nicholas Moore. Hello. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. Well, we are on Christmas Eve, uh, New Year's Eve, sorry, and it's the final year of 2020, the final day of the year. So we're going to perhaps take a look back at what's been going on, how things have been impacted. Obviously, you can't talk about any of this without discussing COVID-19 and the global pandemic. So uh, just kind of an overview on this, Nicholas, the total number of cases continues to climb. We have surpassed 80 million. Uh, That number was passed uh, around Christmas time. And winter and holiday season is fully upon us, as we've seen. And unfortunately, as had been predicted, the uh, cases have been surging in places all over the world, including in uh, European countries that at one point you thought had had the situation under control, like countries like France, Germany, and the UK, right? Right, and this kind of resurgence is... Uh, made a little bit worse by some factors that people may not have anticipated. Uh, The WHO Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus warned that things will continue to get worse in the months ahead because of these new contributing factors. Uh, People are, of course, fatigued with a pandemic, causing them to relax their guards when we need to remain vigilant. Mm. But then there are the new and more infectious variants that have popped up in Britain and South Africa. And just statistically, mutations will continue to become more likely as the virus spreads to more and more hosts. Uh, This is despite vaccines having been developed. Uh, They do cover these new uh, mutations, but the rollouts are slow, uh, giving us very sparse coverage so far. Mm. A lot of focus has been on the hardest hit country, the United States. And for good reason, it now has nearly 20 million confirmed cases uh, out of the 80 million that you mentioned were worldwide. Not long ago, it was judged to be among the most prepared to deal with a pandemic, according to Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. But we ought to look more at the long-term impacts of COVID-19 on the world as a whole. Mm. With these restrictions on personal movement that have been imposed to restrict the spread of the coronavirus, along with forced business closures, this virus has affected the global economy four times as badly as the 2008 financial crisis. And while the World Food Program was awarded the 2020 Nobel Peace Prize, food insecurity will tragically actually increase this year, along with other measures that are related perhaps to the economy, like extreme poverty, access to education, and even uh, gender equality. Well, one thing uh, that is clear from all the facts that you're laying out is that COVID-19 isn't just going to be isolated to a 2020 event. We are going to be... Uh, well into 2021 and continuously talking about it. Hopefully, the vaccines and widespread vaccination programs in various parts of the world will uh, eventually mean that COVID-19 can be uh, somewhat mitigated, the effects of which, and we can uh, return to some semblance of normalcy. But um, there are still a lot of extraneous factors involved, which, as you point out here, uh, could, including the economic uh, after effects that uh, could uh, certainly still have uh, these ripples uh, throughout the year. And so um, we're going to have to watch out for that. Turning to another big issue, which I would say, unfortunately, has been quite overshadowed by coverage of the pandemic, and that is climate change. Still, many scientists believe we are in an existential crisis The uh, problems have been quite evident. We've seen uh, raging wildfires, record-setting high temperatures, um, the busiest Atlantic hurricane season on record. 
But we've also interestingly seen some of the effects of how human intervention and the lack of human intervention seems to make things better. We've seen dolphins floating around <laughs> in the Venetian canals. We've seen other places uh, without a lot of humans uh, coming in because of the social distancing protocols show that uh, perhaps nature on its own has a bit of a recovery process. And also, uh, we have seen various countries uh, kind of roll out their own initiatives like the European Union's Green Deal, which um, also kind of features in their post-COVID recovery plans. That's right. We can tie a lot to the previous story. Uh, like you mentioned, when the pandemic halted human activity for a large part, the environment had a chance to recover, for example, around popular tourist sites. Uh, air quality was noticeably better in major cities. I especially enjoyed that this year. Mm. Water was cleaner, and there was also less noise pollution. And then a, a host of countries pledged to achieve net zero emissions targets, including China. That was perhaps one of the biggest positive news stories regarding the environment, uh, because they are the biggest polluter in the world, of course, overall, not by capita. They say they are set to achieve this by 2060. Korea and Japan have joined in, and hopefully the U.S. will next year, then that means it might just be possible to keep global warming under 2 degrees Celsius overall, hmm. which would be great. That was the, one of the goals of the Paris Climate Conference of 20, uh, December 2015. Um, Joe Biden was also nominated the incoming president of the United States. That is a story in its own right we'll be talking more about later. But following the, in the EU's footsteps, he has made his Green New Deal a centerpiece of the American recovery. Job losses will hopefully be made up by the introduction of more green jobs as the country makes a transition to relying more on renewable energy sources. For one, his electrical grid goals are even more ambitious than that of California. Yeah, there have been... Um at least on the left, a lot of concerns about Biden being maybe too much of a centrist or maybe too much of a corporate Democrat, so to speak, and some skepticism with his uh, dedication or his commitment to some of these uh, green goals that a lot of people have. Uh, he has, though, to be fair to him, although he might be more of the uh, centrist mold, he has uh, on his campaign platform uh, really kind of offered the most progressive uh, environmental campaign. It's not necessarily quite up to the level of the Green New Deal that a lot of the more progressives want, but it is still quite a change. And it is even kind of made more starkly contrasted with the outgoing administration um, and Donald Trump, which for the most part, I think we can fairly say whether you're a supporter or not a supporter, have basically ignored issues of climate uh, throughout the four years of his presidency. So uh, Joe Biden coming in certainly does signal a very big shift in terms of the U.S. outlook with the environment and climate change, which, uh, as the reality of the global order is, uh, that would certainly affect things, and most people believe in a positive way with a renewed commitment by the U.S. that these multilateral efforts like uh, Paris could once again uh, be uh, gaining some momentum and hopefully see that positive change, as you point out, this uh, threshold of uh, under 2 degrees Celsius warming, when hopefully that will be the case. Okay. Let's move on to another big issue, and this is uh, staying in the United States, really an historic movement uh, that uh, remind a lot of people uh, of uh, past mass movements like the 1960s uh, civil rights movement. Uh, what happened in May was tragic and horrific. A black man was killed after a white Minneapolis police officer kneeled on his neck 
for what is now known as the infamous 8 minutes and 46 seconds. This was all caught on tape. The video, of course, went viral and it sparked this nationwide movement. Black Lives Matter, which had been uh, smeared in the press in the past as being this kind of radical group that uh, there some fear-mongering involved as well with some racial overtones as to uh, their intentions. However, led by Black Lives Matter, this nationwide movement uh, started gaining popularity and it also inspired uh, protests which uh, went on a global scale, uh, albeit uh, in some cases with some violent episodes, but it also kind of reignited a conversation on the issue of race and especially the institutional racism that still exists in the United States. Absolutely. As I think you've alluded to, I think there are two aspects to this story. Um, one, of course, is the tragedy of George Floyd and um, what has happened even since then in America. But again, on the other hand, uh, we have the inspired uh, conversation that has begun mm. because of it. Uh, one sign of that is that hashtag Black Lives Matter was tweeted less than 40 million times between 2014 and May 2020, but then 1 million times uh, in the month following that incident alone. The officer who did kneel on George Floyd was arrested four days later and charged with both murder and manslaughter, which is a hopeful sign to many that police departments in America are becoming more responsive, uh, more responsive and responsible mm. for racial incidents. Chokeholds have been widely banned by individual departments, and further police brutality has been highlighted uh, even in the responses by the police to these protests. Um, for one, Denver police were ordered by a district court to stop using tear gas, plastic bullets, and flash grenades against protesters, which might be uh, a sign uh, that there might be a tide against uh, what has been seen as the militarization of the police in mm -hmm. the United States. Racial injustice was already at a simmering point, ready to explode over the summer, though. Uh, 62 Fortune 500 companies tweeted about Black Lives Matter, finding that they gained increased engagement because of it. And this isn't without its downsides. You mentioned a little bit of violence, but the movement has also been criticized for a lack of central organization or vision. But now, with all of this that's happened in this year, the stage is set for them in 2021 with even more funding than ever for one. And that issue uh, was one of the factors that uh, you would say uh, affected voters heading into what was a very momentous presidential election in the United States. Record numbers voted early despite the pandemic, uh, largely through mail-in uh, ballots. Trump actually received over 10 million more votes than he did in 2016, which surprised people. But the vote counted in the days following the election day. It was clear that Biden, and there is no dispute now, despite uh, some of the noise coming out of the extreme right, that uh, Biden achieved a decisive victory, both in the popular vote and as we see now with the Electoral College. Right. Again, this was unprecedented with the scale of the election uh, and with how it was being held. News outlets had to hold off giving their projected winners until over three days afterward. Uh, this election was also a referendum on the government's handling of the coronavirus, Black Lives Matter, as you mentioned, and the rapid Supreme Court appointment of Amy Barrett following the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Months before the election, Trump might have seen the writing on the wall and preemptively tried to discredit the voting process. Uh, claims that he has been uh, claims that he's tried to post have even been censored by Twitter and Facebook for being misleading. Still, he remains singularly focused, perhaps, on overturning these results, even though he's lost batter, battle after battle, uh, even one before the Supreme Court he was able to stack in one term. 
His administration did eventually allow a transition to start taking place uh, before the switch of power on January 20th. Um, But now some current news. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden is alleging that defense officials are obstructing this transition process. While previously he praised the White House for its help, he didn't go into specifics but said that he was not being informed about key national security areas. And he said his team needed a, quote, clear picture of our force posture around the world. But I think um, what's even clearer and perhaps more interesting is that he's gained some insight into the national security agencies. He says that they have been hollowed out in personnel and ability and morale. He says that the policy processes have atrophied or been sidelined to the despair of our allies. It's not an enviable job. He finds himself uh, dealing with perhaps the worst pandemic situation in the world and a devastated economy and certainly a lot of healing that needs to be done uh, with the uh, inherent partisan divisions of the country. So uh, 2021, certainly a lot of uh, hills for uh, Biden to climb as the new president of the United States. Looks like our uh, next reporter has come in, so we're going to have to leave it there. But Nicholas, thank you so much. As always, appreciate all the hard work throughout 2020, and we wish you a happy new year. Thank you, Henry. Good luck to you on the weekend of the new year.